Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. Amen. Thank you, Russell. Good morning, Reunion. I love y'all something serious. Hey, Joseph. What's up, Holly? I love surprises. This is such a good, like, view. You see everybody. It's so cool. Um, uh, It's funny. I was talking to Jeremy and Jonathan right before service, and they were like, do you get nervous before you preach? I was like, reunion? No, I love you guys. Y'all are so welcoming. And then literally, as Russell is giving the announcements, I'm like, (laughs) but it's going to be all right. Um, Lord, have your way. This is your time. This is your space. Fill me with your spirit. Open up our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't always share the title for my sermons, but uh, today's sermon is entitled Speechless. Speechless. We are a generation that really wants to find the words for something. Uh, Not knowing what to say makes us feel uncomfortable. Uh, We may be shy or even ashamed if we find ourselves at a loss for words. We'll avoid entire situations if we know that we won't have the right things to say. We'll stand in front of the mirror and repeat what we're going to talk about or whatever the case may be. Uh, And even after doing that, sometimes it still doesn't seem to all come together in exactly the way we pictured it in our head. And really inconvenient times to be speechless and not have the right thing to say may be like the first date right? You know, you just made the match, and like, this is the first in-person date, and it's like, oh my goodness, ah, yeah, da, 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 I don't know, what's your favorite color? Like, I just told you, it's teal, right? Wasn't listening. It's like, you just get nervous, right? Or, you know, what about the job interview when they ask you, like, the question that, you know, you you prepared everything else, and it's that curveball one, and you're like, uh, is mayonnaise an instrument? I don't know. Um, And then... Uh, sometimes you have a really big speech to give, or maybe you're preaching a sermon or whatever the case may be, and you're like at a loss for words when you know you prepared and you knew what you were going to say, but you just draw a blank. But what, what about prayer, right? Has anybody in here ever wanted to pray, but you were just in a place or maybe you're in a funk and you just couldn't quite find the words or couldn't quite express exactly what you wanted to say to God? Is, is anybody able to relate to that circumstance? That happens to me from time to time. Uh, and I work with college students in my nine to five, and I ask myself, what might one of my college students do if they had to pray, but they just couldn't quite get the words to do so? And then it clicked. Chat GPT. <laughs> like, that's what everybody's doing. AI answers all the questions. So I'm like, nah, there's no way you can write an entire prayer using artificial intelligence. Oh, was I wrong? I went online to ChatGPT and I asked the software to write me a prayer for when I'm at a loss for words. That's exactly what I wrote. And I kid you not, in less than three seconds, this is what the software produced. Heavenly Father, in moments of uncertainty when words fail to express the depths of my heart, I come to you seeking solace and guidance. 
You are the source of all wisdom and understanding, and I know that even in my silence, you hear the whispers of my soul. When I'm at a loss for words, grant me the peace to know that you understand the unspoken cries of my spirit. Help me to find comfort in your presence, knowing that you are always there to listen and to hold me close. I humbly ask for your divine wisdom and insight to navigate the challenges and uncertainties that lie ahead. Fill my heart with the clarity to discern the right path and the courage to follow it even when the way seems unclear. Lord, grant me the strength to endure hardships and the resilience to rise above my doubts and fears. May your light shine brightly in my life, illuminating the darkest corners of my mind and filling my heart with hope and joy. As I face the trials of life, remind me that your love is unwavering and your grace is boundless. Teach me to trust in your divine plan, knowing that you work all things for the good of those who love you. In times of joy and in times of sorrow, I surrender my words to you, knowing that you can interpret the language of my heart. Help me to be still in your presence, embracing the beauty of silence as a way to commune with you on a deeper level. I am grateful for the gift of prayer, even when words escape me. Thank you for always being attentive to the cries of my soul and for guiding me with your loving hand. In your holy name I pray, amen. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, I was shook. (laughs) I was shook. I was like, three seconds, that one sentence, three seconds later produced that prayer And I was confident that I was going to be able to stand up here and tell you a story about how AI just didn't cut it. But nope, freaky as it is, AI hit this one right on the money. It said, when I'm at a loss for words, grant me the peace to know that you understand the unspoken cries of my spirit. In times of joy and in times of sorrow, I surrender my words to you, knowing that you can interpret the language of my heart. Help me to be still in your presence, embracing the beauty of silence as a way to commune with you on a deeper level. I'm grateful for the gift of prayer, even when words escape me. Thank you for always being attentive to the cries of my soul and guiding me with your loving hand. Wow. This is freakishly accurate, and it's reflected in our text this morning. Uh, Our scripture we're going to be looking at is Romans chapter 8. We're going to go through verses 12 through 30. And the contextual backdrop of Romans 8 is steeped in the burdensome reality of our existence between the reality of life, the pain that we experience, the sin that we encounter, but also this hope of the joy of Jesus returning to redeem all creation and restore all creation back to a hopeful life without that reality. So let's look at Romans 8 really quickly. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit 
joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death to decay, from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We, too, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. And if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So here we see this tug of war of the reality of life, where there's this, this, this struggle of life as well as this redemption of life we're looking forward to. And in Romans 7, the chapter just before this, Paul is describing a personal journey, his personal story with this reality. He describes the anguish of his sin. Although he wants to do right, he keeps on doing what he doesn't want to do. And the things he actually wants to do, he does the opposite. And before Jesus, any sins that were committed were held against you until it was atoned for through a sacrifice made by a high priest. Uh, in that model, we were enslaved to our sin. We were bound to it because there wasn't a consistent mode of liberation. The power of sin lived in us, but the power of deliverance existed outside of us. However, Paul goes on to give the good news of Jesus in chapter 8. And starting in verse 1, he says, So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's a glorious reality that juxtaposes that, verse, that chapter 7 tug of war of sin and, 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 and life. 
So there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did that so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied in us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Jesus died so that the power of sin and the law could be broken off of our lives. And then he then gave us his Spirit to live on the inside of us. So now, as we live our lives, we don't live according to what we have to do in order to fulfill the law and stay in right standing, We live our lives in response to his grace to please God and not grieve the spirit of God living within us. We no longer have to live, we no longer have to work to get on God's good side, but now we live in light of God's goodness. There's a difference between striving to be on God's good side and accepting the grace and the joy of living in light of God's goodness. And we think in accordance to what the Spirit wants first. And we, what we do and how we live and engage with God is in order to cultivate, the walk, uh, cultivate our walk and the life of the Spirit on the inside of us. Now, in our flesh, in our human nature, we're tempted to prioritize our wants, our needs, our rights, our happiness, our appetites with an attitude of, meh, Jesus died, there's grace, I'm going to just live my life. But Paul is saying, no, 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 brothers and sisters, there's so much more for you. Verse 12 continues on and says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. I know for some of us, we cringe when churches talk about sin. And sometimes it's because in previous conversations in churches where we talk about sin, it's been an open door to being shamed for your shortcomings. But that's not the goal for today. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Paul is telling us that Jesus has taken back the power that sin once had. And the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us has given us the power to live lives of steadfastness, even as our own desires and cravings lead us towards sin and evil. There's this reality of our history with sin, that before Jesus, our human desires would lead us to fall away from God into sin, and we'd be subject to God's wrath because of sin's power over us. That law created a pathway back to God, but it was a long, laborious journey back to righteousness and cleansing, which we still couldn't do the job because we just kept on sinning. But then God, in his love for us, sent his son Jesus to eliminate the power of sin over our lives so that when we fall, we get up and go to Jesus for instant reconciliation. As God puts his spirit on the inside of us, 
Uh, he put his spirit on the inside of us to lead us in the way we should go and to work out the kinks over us in time. This is a process that we in the church call sanctification. It's God's process of, of pruning us and, and working out the imperfections and the impurities, not of our own work, but his work on the inside of us. So now, with that in mind, with that in light, our new agenda is to live according to the Spirit on the inside of us, not to please our sinful desires that resist and quench the Spirit of God. But guess what, y'all? One day, Jesus is going to return and restore all of creation, not just us, but every created thing that he made back to its perfected state of harmony with God. Sin will no longer be a barrier. Wrestling will no longer be a reality. Pain will no longer be a circumstance. Death will no longer be a factor. And it will be glorious. It'll be glorious, y'all. It'll be like waiting on the stuffy, stank train platform on a humid August day. And you look up at the little LED sign... And that thing says that the train won't be here for another 23 minutes. Uh-huh, that's the groaning. Yeah, that y'all just did. So now you're hot and you're sweaty and you're groaning. And then suddenly after waiting patiently for the train to come and confidently waiting, because you know that after a while the train will surely come unless it's the L, then your confidence might waver. But we're not talking about an L-train Jesus, all right? We're talking about a solid 4-5, y'all. Come on, right on time when you need it, all right? And then the 4-5 comes. I'm talking to somebody here today. The 4-5 comes, and you hear the glorious trumpet from heaven. Bing, bing. Bing, bing. And the gates of the NYC train platform relief open up and you step into a crispy, cool train car with the AC consuming your body. How does that feel, church? Glorious! Hallelujah! Feels glorious. Can I get an amen? (laughs) You are delivered from your turmoil and you're waiting. That's how it will be when Jesus comes to restore and create a new creation after waiting, after groaning, after suffering, knowing that it will happen, but just not being too sure when it will arrive, but certainly knowing that it will get here, and then he's there, making it new, bringing relief, ending the turmoil and the suffering, only it's better than the train arriving. We look forward to that day, but the truth is we're not there yet. We're still on the platform of life, waiting. Every day we go through life and we are blessed to have seasons of joy, seasons of peace, seasons of strong faith. But those seasons are periodically interrupted by seasons of pain and seasons of sorrow, seasons of falling back into our sin. The back and forth shuffle is tedious. That's the suffering. It makes us weak. And we are waiting eagerly for the day that Jesus restores us to glorious peace for eternity. Let's look at verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day 
when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. We know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we, look, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. We are groaning. We are yearning for the day when Jesus will come and restore us. And the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, the scripture says, is a foretaste of the future glory of God. And that's why it's important to cultivate your connection and relationship with the Spirit of God on the inside of you. It's a foretaste of the glory of heaven that we get to experience even now, even here on earth. Life seems fuller. Life has meaning and there's something to hold on to. The fullness of the Spirit resists and protests against the emptiness we feel in our brokenness. It's the already, not yet. We are renewed by the Holy Spirit in us when we accept Christ, yet we are waiting and groaning for our bodies to give way to the new bodies without sin and suffering on the inside of us. So what must we do? We must wait. But we don't just wait. We wait patiently and we wait confidently. But see, Paul is not completely uh, amiss to the fact that this waiting thing is difficult. And he allows us to know and be reminded that we're not just left to wallow in our misery. Paul lets us know the good news that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Church, sometimes the waiting, the sin, the issues of life, the problems, sometimes it wears us down until we're at a point where we are beyond words. We're beyond words and yet and still we know that the right thing to do as believers is to pray in times such as this. But the weight and the reality of this world is heavy. It doesn't mean that you lack faith. It means that you are fully human. And Jesus knows this. The Spirit understands. And God is so good. God is so loving. God is so kind that even though we have zero words and zero strength and abundance of heaviness, he does what? He helps us. He helps us. That's not the end of the story. He helps us. He shows up. And it's beautiful. The Greek word for helps us is, this is a new one. It's fancy, y'all. Sunantilambanamai. I said that like 10 times. Sunantilambanamai. 
All right, when we see this word used in scripture, it means to lay hold of, to strive and obtain with others or to help in obtaining. So it's to provide an image. It's like something is in existence and then something comes along with it to help and assist it move forward. So the Holy Spirit takes hold of our spirit to pray the prayer with us for us. He doesn't take our prayer request and walk over here and pray it on your behalf. No, no, he shows up with you and stands with you in it, grabs hold of the pain, grabs hold of the suffering, grabs hold of the turmoil and laments that thing with you, prays it with you. You don't know the response, but the spirit knows the response. You don't know what to cry on, but he knows what to cry out. You don't know what to say, but the spirit of God knows what to say and he helps us. He takes hold of our lament and prays with it, assisting us in the labor of our groaning. He pulls it out of us without using words at all. How awesome is it to know that God is showing up for us and his showing up for us isn't predicated upon us having all the words to say. It's a reflection of the fact that this life in Christ is not a works-based life. It's a grace-filled life that even in the brittlest points of us falling short, he shows up to help us. And because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, he's going to the deepest parts of our weakness, the places that that, that words don't even reach. And he's discerning what's actually going on because sometimes the words will say one thing, but what's actually going on is the other thing. Amen, somebody. We're saying, oh, yeah, this is the problem. But really, the problem is something much deeper that we might not even be able to see yet. Praying in the Spirit allows us to go beyond the words that even we fool ourselves into thinking is one thing. And he discerns what's going on on the inside and prays according to the will of God on our behalf. Guess what? GPT can't do that. <laughs> Chat GPT, whatever it's called, Chat GBND, Chat GPT can't do that. It's not there for you when your phone dies or you have bad service, but the spirit is. Chat GPT, as accurate as it may seem, is not capable of discerning the will of God at the innermost part of your being. That's the spirit's job. Thank God for the irreplaceable, incomprehensible power of the Holy Spirit. So if this groaning prayer is happening silently on the inside, then what's going on on the outside? Prayer is seemingly seen as this expressive, externalized experience. But this groaning that we're talking about seems to be this deep, inward, unseen, unspoken reality. Well... Sometimes that's just it. It doesn't quite look like anything at all from the outside. The spirit is moving and groaning on the inside, and there may not be an external manifestation of what that looks like. And then other times, as we sense the Holy Spirit moving in the depths of our wordless soul, all we can do in those moments is sigh. That's all the words you have. That's all the strength you can muster And that's all the prayer you need. The Spirit is in the deep parts discerning the prayer and praying it for you. So let the sigh out. Perhaps all we have are our tears. Then weep. 
Your emotions are God's built-in mechanism for relief and release. And I know we can be critical when it comes to our emotions in our faith life. And we can be resistant to tapping into those emotions and letting it flow and letting it out. And there is a fear of manipulation if we make ourselves too vulnerable or societal messages tell us that strength and emotions are uh, at the opposite of each other. But let me tell you, our emotions are often the pathway to the deepest parts of ourselves and our truth. And we know that. We know that it's the deepest part of our truth. That's why we avoid accessing it. That's why we avoid letting people in and we avoid it at all costs. But those depths are where the Spirit ministers to you in the deepest parts of your need. It's beyond our head. It's beyond our body. And it goes into the soul where we can't intellectualize our way through life. Truth resides in your innermost being. Meet God there. Some people are wailers. And they shout and they cry out when they're praying to God in the Spirit. And you see these expressions on the outside, but the prayer, it might sound loud and odious, but it's happening silently on the inside. This is not some heady concept. This is a part of God's mysterious movement. It's ministry of the soul. It happens in a deep place where comprehension is suspended. So when you're in a moment of conviction or vulnerability in the Spirit, let yourself go. Allow the Holy Spirit to take control of your mind, your heart, your emotions, release, pour it out. Whatever that looks like for you in the moment, words are not necessary. It's a place where not having the right words to say is the right thing to do. We're not just making noise. God is interceding for us through his own will. And even if the groaning never makes its way to the surface, the Spirit is still praying on your behalf at the very point of your need. So those groanings are a prayer designed to lament and be restored during the anguish of the in-between time from God delivering us from sin and God bringing us into eternal redemption. And if we share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. But by his grace, God provides us a means to remain in him even at the brittlest points of our being. And what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And we have this beautiful promise in verse 28 that we can walk with. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We can have hope because we know that even the pain that causes us to groan will work out for our good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <sighs> Spirit of God, I pray that you break down the walls, break down the barriers, and teach us how to access the innermost part of our being so we can meet you there, invite you in, 
And even when we don't know what to say, Lord, as your spirit joins with our spirit in groaning, I pray that you allow us to release the pain. Release it through our tears, Lord. Release it through our sigh. Release it through our laughter. Whatever the groaning mechanism is, Lord, that you decide in your will to use, I pray that you do so and allow us to know that it is you working on the inside of us. Lord, I pray that you visit each and every individual in this room. And I pray that you allow us to experience your Holy Spirit catharsis. To unlock things that have been locked up, access spaces that we have not been allowing you to go to. And I pray that we humbly surrender our lives to you and surrender our control. We don't have to be well put together in your presence. You know the truth. So pray the truth. Meet us in our groaning. So, Lord, we say, <sighs> Lord, we say, oh, Lord, we say, mm. Lord, we say, No words at all. Knowing that all of the above are according to your will. And we trust you to have your way. So we say thank you for being God. Take full control in Jesus' name. Amen.